Welcome to the CSC Podcast. I'm Zudi Bowari, Producing Artistic Associate here at Classic Stage Company. My co-host is Phil Haas, the Director of Marketing and Communications. In this episode, we're going to introduce Jill Rafson, Classic Stage Company's new Producing Artistic Director. We'll talk about her thoughts on the classics and her exciting new vision for CSC and its future. All coming up on the CSC Podcast. Hi, Zudi. Hello again, Phil. It's been a while since we've recorded a podcast. Um, It's been some time. It has been some time. And Phil, why don't you just go ahead and tell people who are listening where we're recording this right now. Oh, (laughs) they'll probably find that interesting. We are backstage in the dressing rooms at Classic Stage Company, which had a little bit of a a facelift, a little bit of a redo. (laughs) facelift, I Uh, love that. (laughs) Especially for like any artists that have done productions at CSC in the past, they're probably like, they're where? That's gross. Um, (laughs) It used to be kind of not great, um, but uh, we had to do things to upgrade, especially for for air and circulation and things like that. So we're in a much nicer setting right now um, than things maybe used to be here. Um, And it's, it's so nice to be like here at the theater, here in this room. It's really exciting. Recording together. Um, and we have a really, really special guest on today's podcast. And it's Jill Rapson, who is our new producing artistic director. Yeah, we're really excited to talk with her. And we're going to ask her questions about what uh, what she's thinking about for maybe upcoming seasons, what she thinks classics should be you know what that definition is to her because everyone sort of has a different definition of what a classic play is yeah and what she plans to bring to this 55 year legacy that is csc hello and welcome jill hi thanks so much i'm very glad to be on the podcast um so jill what is your hope for csc and what are you hoping to add to its legacy Well, CSC has been here for 50 plus years and it has accomplished a heck of a lot in that time. So I'm kind of jumping on to um, an organization here that's already in a really wonderful place. Um, Joining here, my intention certainly wasn't, oh, we gotta throw the baby out. No, we gotta gotta keep it in the bathwater. I think what's exciting about CSC is that it has lived a lot of different lives over its history with different leadership. Um, And I like the way that it's evolved to meet the times that it's in. So there have been artistic directors who are more interested in the Greeks, some more interested in the German writers, some who have brought more Chekhov in, some who have done more uh, musicals, as John Doyle did just before me. Um, What I'm interested in doing is synthesizing all of that and also adding a very contemporary spin. What I see as CSE's role in the New York industry is there are so many people out there supporting new work. And I love that. I come from a new play background. But what's interesting about CSE is putting new work in conversation with the work that may have inspired it in the first place. I always say that the best plays um, break the rules in really exciting ways. You can't break those rules if you don't know what the rules were to begin with. So the things that are exciting to me are how plays can bump up against each other. Taking the things that we know as the more traditionally accepted classics, and we can get into what all of that means and how you define a classic, but taking those that we think of already as canonical and seeing how the voices of today, both directorially, in terms of playwrights, new design, actors, 
how they are approaching those classical texts. So I'm interested in the dialogue. So let's go back to what you said, actually, which is what is a classic? When somebody asks you that, what do you what do you think? I think, oh gosh, I hope they have 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> the definition of a classic is not solid anymore, in my opinion. I think that one of the things that our entire industry is dealing with right now is that what we used to consider a classic was extremely narrow, and it was defined by a very select group. A lot of things became classics because they were defined by a critical establishment and an audience that looked exactly like the people who were also doing the writing and the directing and the performing. And guess what? Society has changed. I mean, society also looked different then. People just weren't allowed in the front doors of the theater. So rather than get into all that, I'll say where we're moving. What I think of as a classic now is not just the names you've already heard of, the titles you've already heard of, but also the plays that got left behind in the first place. So I'm very interested in the pieces that were just as strong and were being written in the same time period as some of the names we know, whether that's uh, you know your Shaw or your Miller or your O'Neill, there were contemporaries doing incredible work that didn't get the same attention. And I, it's sort of at the core of my philosophy here that to canonize is active. To make a play canonical is something that we can do today by producing a play on our stage, especially in New York. We have such influence, we have such attention, we're able to influence which plays are considered canonical simply by doing them. And I think that's immense power. I think it's an immense privilege to get to make those decisions. And so we get to make plays into classics by simply deciding they deserve to be on our off-Broadway stage. That to me is a really thrilling proposition. It's interesting because, you know, one of the challenges that I sometimes face as as a marketing director um, is finding audiences for a- any kind of work, whether it's a classic work, a new work, you know, it, 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 it it's always an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Who's going to come to the play? Um, we know who's been coming to the classics, to put that in quotes, sort of, for the past 50 plus years, a classic stage. How do you think redefining what classics are and and looking at these playwrights that maybe we haven't been looking at, how do you think that might evolve who our audience is, who's coming to the plays? How do you think that might shift things? I think it's going to allow people to see themselves on a stage in a way that they maybe haven't before or in a way that they maybe thought was only possible through pieces being written right now. And listen, there are great writers writing those stories that reflect their experience today and the audience is going to relate to that and I hope people go and see those plays. I think it can be it's especially exciting for an audience to realize that none of this is news, that people were writing about so many of these same themes and stories long ago, and they just weren't given the chance to be seen. To me, that's such an interesting thing to bring to the surface. And so I love that idea, giving the audience a chance to say, oh, this isn't just a currently written piece that is set in a period. Somebody was writing this in the 20s, the 40s, the 60s, and it is still absolutely relevant. How do we then talk about the fact that the things that they were writing about are still incredibly relevant? And what is the ancillary programming that we can do around it as an institution that helps move that discussion forward? I mean, that's the the thing that I love about nonprofit theater. 
we build seasons and we don't just do a play we do productions and we do conversations and we have an audience that comes back to our space has specific associations with being in this room and therefore thinking about all of these plays that we do in the context of each other and they have opportunities to actually engage with the work it's not about just getting people to buy tickets although i know that's a huge part of your job and thank yeah, you for, for that for me it is yeah. sure yes yes please continue to sell the tickets <laughs> however it's so enriching when people can actually go deeper. I, mm, you've both mm. heard me use this term stickiness. I really get excited about plays that are sticky, where we give an audience the opportunity to go beyond watching the play and then going home. It's about what's that thing that we can give them that leads to a conversation on the subway when they leave? What can we send them in an email after they've seen the show that gives them an opportunity to read more, to learn more, to listen to a podcast, to watch a video? And it's going to engage them even more deeply and just give you a more satisfying experience. It's one of the things that helped me fall in love with theater when I was first starting to really get to know plays. It was those extra things. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it's it goes beyond a play or a movie or anything. And the first thing that they ask or that's asked of them, was it good? Did you like it? Did you not like it? You know, those are the questions that get asked there. And so... I think it's so interesting to go beyond that. And so many audience members may not do that. They may just be go to be entertained and did I have a good time or not. But we're asking them to maybe dive a little bit deeper, think a little bit more. And that helps in terms of, of bringing in more audience too because it's not about did I have a good time. It's about what did I think about? What did I feel while I was in that space? So I think classic work does that in a way that sometimes new plays don't, right? Because uh, you have that ability to kind of look at where something has stood over time, how things have changed since the work was originally written, how things haven't changed, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of things like that. So I think that's really, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. It's one of the things that I really love myself as a theater goer. You know, I'm the person who, if there is some sort of guide in the lobby to pick up, I am going to pick it up and I'm going to read it. Mm. And I am a, a real Tom Stoppard nerd. He was one of my first loves um, as a playwright. And, and that's because there was always so much more beyond what you actually saw on the stage. I remember being like, gosh, I know nothing about Lord Byron after <laughs> I saw Arcadia. I haven't thought about right. Byron since whatever class I took. <laughs> and so I went and did a deep dive on that. And then I went back and I reread the play. I saw the Coast of Utopia twice through, the whole three parts, <laughs> because it meant more after I'd gone yeah. back and looked up a bunch of these Russians. You know, it was really exciting to engage on that level. And we get to give people that opportunity. You know, we've talked about the fact that writers evolve over the course of their careers. You look at a Tennessee Williams and the writer he was when he was doing Glass Menagerie is not the writer he was when he was doing The Rose Tattoo is not the writer no. he was. But, you know, there's there's an evolution across their careers and because we are committed to these bodies of work and to contextualizing plays in history and making them play up against the current issues of our day, that's that does something extra. You mentioned Tom Stoppard being one of your favorites. Who, who else would you consider a classical playwright and why you respond to their work? I mean, because my definition of the classics is so broad, I... I have a lot that I would put in that category. List all of them, Okay, Jim. I mean, Stoppard was seminal for me. I think everybody, I, I always say that most theater people have a, uh, like, a gateway show, that thing that got them hooked. For me, uh, 
in musicals, it was watching the, my mom recorded Into the Woods off of PBS when I was a kid. <laughs> we had that VH8, VHS. I wore that thing out. I watched Into the Woods over and over and over again. I didn't know I was a Stephen Sondheim fan until much, much later, but that was one of the first musicals I fell in love with. And then Stoppard, I, I got called in to help stage manage a production of The Real Thing in college at the last minute. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll learn how to be a stage manager here. And as I was doing it, I was a terrible stage manager because I would forget to call cues because I was just paying attention to the language. <laughs> Not a good job for me. But I realized how much I loved that kind of text. And that really opened a gate for me. So those are, those are a couple of them. I mean, mm. being a Sondheim fan is definitely a part of my character. Um, but I have so many other favorites. I mean, among our sort of naturalists, I really, I love a good Ibsen. Um, strangely, Head is not my favorite. I prefer the stuff that's a little more off the beaten track. Um, I really, I really like Wendy Wasserstein. Um, I know she's a little bit out of fashion to some people, but good comedy is good comedy. It's women-centered. When you talk about classics, it's been 30, 40 years since we saw a lot of Wendy Wasserstein's plays first done on stage, and so there's an entire generation who hasn't gotten to experience them as theater. They've only gotten to experience them as text, and that's very, very different. So uh, so she's a favorite of mine, but I don't, I don't know what her stuff looks like on stage. I, I mean, when I have looked at original casts in those scripts, I just, I wish I could have been there. Yes. Those are some of the ones that you just go, oh man, to have been in that room. Watch Madeline Kahn and, and whoever else was in that production, that oh Lincoln gosh. Center of, uh, well, which play was that? The Sisters? Um, Sisters Rosenzweig, yes, right? Yes, That would have been something. <laughs> and I do think about the stuff I'm lucky enough to have seen that is now already starting to feel like, oh, did I see a classic in the making? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about this and it does make you feel a little ancient, but... <laughs> plays that I loved when I first started working in this industry that are getting their first revival. It's exciting to watch that happen to go, oh, okay, so we all agree that still holds up. We weren't wrong the first time. It wasn't just because it was a great cast or a singular great production. That's exciting, and that's the stuff that we're going to get to do here. You talk a little bit about what's that gateway play for people, and I feel like for so many, uh, for so many people in uh, school, that ends up being Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a complicated history about Shakespeare being a classic and the sole classic from that era that we really kind of cling to, uh, whether it's here in America, whether it's in England. Um, we have produced a lot of Shakespeare here at CSC over the years. What are your thoughts on Shakespeare's place in, as we continue to explore classics, should we still be doing Shakespeare? Do we leave Shakespeare behind? Do we look at it in a different way? What what do we do with Mr. William Shakespeare? I love that question because I think we still do Shakespeare. I don't think he gets put in the dustbin. Okay. <laughs> I think that for me, the answer has always been about a balanced season, a balanced theatrical ecosystem. We need to do all of the things. If we are only doing one of anything, then we're not a classic theater, right? I think that Shakespeare is absolutely valid. I love the language of Shakespeare. I love the comedy of Shakespeare. I, I think that we, 
we see certain of his plays far more often than we see others, and that's maybe problematic. I'm much more interested in exploring some of the titles that don't get touched on once every two years. So I'm excited to see how different directors approach Shakespeare, give people a shot at crazy productions of him that I couldn't even dream of, because that's what great directors do. But you still do him because there's value there. It's just that he's not the only writer of value. And it is, listen, I'm not an educator. I know there were reasons that he gets taught because there are so many other things beyond the plots of his plays that make Shakespeare interesting. It can't just be Shakespeare is the only thing we teach the kids in school. I feel so lucky that I had to read The Crucible and that I had to read Death of a Salesman. But guess what? There's also more than Arthur Miller that we should be teaching in school. But I think it's the job of theaters like ours to arm educators with a vocabulary of plays that goes beyond that very, very narrow definition. And if people start doing plays by writers like Alice Childress or writers like Susan Glaspell or doing more Lorraine Hansberry than just a raisin in the sun, by putting them on a stage and by seeing how they get picked up by other theaters and then starting to spread more widely, that's a great influence. That's going to arm all these people who are doing the teaching with the information they need to bring that into their classrooms. So one of the things that uh, you brought up before is uh, you brought up musicals, and that's something that CSC has become known for um, since John Doyle joined us and, and brought that revival of passion, then did a number of musicals um, throughout his time here as artistic director as well. He'll be leaving us with his last musical, A Man of No Importance, in the fall. Um, do you think we're going to still see musicals at CSC? I know a lot of the subscribers want to know that, but what do you think, like, beyond that, what are, what's the place of musicals when we talk about classics, especially here in America? I assure you all we're still doing musicals at CSC. Excellent. Woo! Great. So let's start from that good news. <laughs> Personally, I think that musicals are, number one, still, they are now part of the DNA of this organization. Yes. They are really wonderful in our space. I think that there are certain musicals that are even elevated by being in a space like ours that invites creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one part of it. I also just think that if this country can even attempt to claim any art form as native, this might be one of the ones that is closest to really being born and raised in America. It's not a perfect thing, but it's pretty close. And... I think that we have so many incredible musical theater artists here. Why not? Why not elevate them and give them a chance to be seen in this way? There are so many musicals that are not meant to be on Broadway, that are not meant to be commercial, that are not meant to be at that scale, but would be fantastic in a theater like this. So let's do them. Um, To me, it's a play with music, right? The best songs out there, those lyrics are incredible stories. So. How is it different from a play, other than being slightly more expensive? (laughs) (laughs) So, Jill, as we continue to work our way out of this pandemic and grapple with the state of our country and the world, what's your hope for New York theater? My hope is that theater does what theater does best. I think that we, as a New York theater community, have the ability to tell stories that teach people different ways to meet this moment. And we're, we are theaters. We're not going to solve every problem in the world, but what we can do is give people new ways of looking at those problems, ways of dealing with those problems, ways of talking to each other about those problems. 
I'm never going to pretend that theater is the healing agent of all things, right? However, we can give you the gift of being in community for a moment, for a couple of hours with a bunch of other audience members who came to this specific place at this specific time to do the same thing that you're doing. I think that's beautiful. It's why I love the liveness of what we do. I also think that we CSC as part of the theater community can really be in conversation with the other theaters around us. And that's in New York, that's around the country, and that's around the world. One of the things that I have actually found to be a really significant silver lining in the pandemic is the amount of communication between theaters. The way that we have worked together to help artists do their jobs, and that's in terms of the way that we look at labor, the way that we look at schedules, all sorts of things, but also just the fact that we talk, that we can say, hey, I need this actress at this time. If you move your show by one week, we can give her the ability to do three off-Broadway plays back to back to back. And when we figured that all out, boy, did it feel great. I love that. And it wasn't something that was happening before. That level of transparency and collaboration, there was a little bit more of a sense of competition. And I love that that's petered out a little bit. I really hope that we all keep talking to each other and continuing to build all these beautiful seasons that are in conversation with each other in the same way that artistic leaders are in conversation with each other in a way that I don't think we all have been before. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. It's something I definitely experienced even from the admin uh, perspective as well. Yeah. You know, meeting with other marketing directors, and I know other colleagues of ours here at CSC have have felt the same way, whether it's with the education department or the fundraising department. We've been able to collaborate together with other theaters and it makes the entire community stronger. You are 100% right on that. It's made a real difference. I've seen initiatives that came out of those conversations that actually helped people during this truly terrible period. And we need to keep those conversations going because so much creativity came out of it and more of an appetite for risk-taking than I've ever seen. And it was good, it was really good, so we have to keep it up. Thanks, Jill, this has been wonderful, eye-opening. Thanks so much. I hope I see everybody at the theater. Thanks for listening. For more information on Classic Stage Company, visit us online at classicstage.org. There you'll find more information on the podcast and all of our programming. Once again, I'm Phil Haas. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll be back next time for the CSC Podcast. Take care.